That's right, man. Front row Christians up here, baby. That's right, man. You got the leather couch going nicely, nicely. We treat him right around here. We treat him right around here. This is elevating my pride. I gotta. There's enough problems with it on its own. Let's let's. All right, guys. Well, tonight we are hitting Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, also known as the Church of Philadelphia. So, got any Philly people out here? Philly. I love my people. <laughs> so, no, I hope they kill them. No. Stacy hates the Phillies right now. <laughs> yeah, Stacy's not stoked with the Phillies. I like Rocky. I like Rocky. I'm a Rocky fan. I need to watch Rocky with <laughs> Lori, I'm sorry, I made, this is how we roll. We'll tell you later, but I made her watch all of them in a row in like two nights. We watched six together. Nicely. Okay. Nicely. All right, guys. Well, uh, as you guys know, we've been uh, hitting through the book of Revelation. We're, we are in the church phase of the book of Revelation. This is probably the most important, I wouldn't even say probably, it is the most important aspect of this book for us. Uh, what the what the chapters two and three portray are directed specifically towards the church, towards those who are found in Christ, to those who are under the blood of the Lamb. When we get to chapter four and chapter five, we see uh, the church, we see believers in heaven praising the Lord, giving honor and glory to the Lord. And then from that point on, from chapter six on, we see God's wrath being poured out on the Christ-rejecting world. We will see tonight why. Why the Great Tribulation? Why is it there? Well, it is addressed in this letter to the church in Philadelphia. So we will be speaking on that. But we must make sure that we understand where we are, who we are, and what exactly is our role in this book. Because this book, saying of itself, is a prophetic book. It is a book looking forward. It is not a book looking back. We At the very first study, we looked at the different um, ideas ideologies kind of surrounding this book and what people thought of it, the historical views, the allegorical views, things like that. But what does the book say of itself? This book says that it is a book that is speaking of things that have not yet come, things that are coming, and that is something that will come. Um, I guess we're actually finding ourselves somewhere in the midst of it. Somewhere between chapter 2 and 3, we find ourselves today. And where we are in that? Interesting question. And that's something that each and every single one of us must look around. We need to be familiar with our Bibles. We need to be reading the Word of God. We need to be looking around at the events that are happening around us, the things that are unfolding around us. And through that, we can begin to get at least an idea, because no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus said he'd come as a thief to the, in a night uh, to those who are not watching. But we are not in darkness if we are watching, if we are waiting, if we are expecting his return. We will be about his business and it will not surprise us. We don't know the day and the hour, but it will not surprise us when he does come. It won't take us off guard. So we have been given a pretty amazing thing here. Again, it is absolutely crucial that we talk about this because what is this book called? The book of Revelation. What is its purpose? To reveal Jesus Christ. That is the purpose. If you leave tonight and you're confused and you don't understand, then I have failed you and I apologize. Hector will be up next week. Don't worry about it. 
okay? But if you leave tonight and you don't understand a little bit more about Jesus, if you don't understand his person and who he is even just a little bit better, then I have failed you because this book is designed to reveal Jesus to us, who he is, what he is, what he is here for, what his purpose is, and what his purpose for us is. So tonight, verse 7, let's jump right in. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, one thing I just want to, I'm going to skip to the end just for a half a second, because at our, at our last Berean barbecue, how many of you were there? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, huh? It was pretty cool. Uh, we were talking about the Trinity, and the specifically, you know, the triune nature, how they are separate, but also how they are one. I want you to notice who's talking in these letters. Who's talking in these epistles? Who's talking? Who's speaking? Jesus, right? So, so Jesus is speaking. He calls himself the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the one who is and was, who is to come, and all that. So he gives himself the titles of the Father. But also, I want you to notice he's speaking. He's telling the people all of these things. And he's, you know, he's just kind of laying down all these different things for them to keep track of, think about, repent of, to continue in, and things like that. And then at the very end, what does he say? He who has an ear to hear, let him, let him hear what Jesus says to the churches. What does he say? Wait a second, Jesus is talking. Here's another example of the triune nature of God. They are three individual persons, but they are one, and they can substitute themselves for one another even as they're speaking in a sentence because they are one. Interesting, huh? I was, I was just noticing that today. I was, I was just looking over the text again. I was like, eh, eh, we talked about that. Two Brian barbecues in a row. So, <laughs> so there you go. All right, let us begin. Verse 7, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, Now, we all know, as we've gone through each and every single one of these churches so far, that their names and what the names mean have actually taken a great significance on what Jesus is addressing in the body of the letter. Tonight is no exception. Uh, the name Philadelphia, as most of us know, means brotherly love, right? We think, oh, Philly cheesesteak, yeah, you know, the, the city of brotherly love, right? We have this city. But more than just saying, okay, brotherly love, you know, because, you know, that doesn't really completely give a whole lot of in the body of the text. So there's got to be something a little bit more than that. There's got to be something, if we dig a little bit deeper, to understand, okay, how does brotherly love, how is that significant to what Jesus is addressing in the, in the text? So um, 
I'm going to actually start with the, the origin of the name of Philadelphia. Uh, this was actually the youngest of the seven cities that are addressed in this book, in that John is addressed to the actual seven churches that were existing in the times of John. This is the youngest of all of those cities. Uh, and in it, it, actually today it is known as Al-Shahir, um, and it was built in an area that was actually acquired by another one of our cities, Pergamos. Um, it was uh, built, or actually it was acquired in 189 B.C., now, the king of Pergamos was King uh, Eumenes II, and he was the king of Pergamos, and he had a younger brother, Attalus, and he was also a second. Uh, and this Attalus, his brother, later became his successor. And Attalus, he actually won something called a, con a cognomen. Now, how many of you know what a cognomen is? I didn't either. I had to look it up. I was like, what in the world is a cognomen? But he won it. Okay, great. Good for him. And it says that he won the cognomen Philadelphus. Cognomen Philadelphus. And I was like, yeah, exactly. I had my mouth open just like that. Perfect. Good illustration. He won a cog cognomen Philadelphus. Wonderful. So I, I, I look it up, do, do a Google search on cognomen Philadelphus. And cognomen Philadelphus does not come up, but cognomen does come up. It is something, it's a Roman tradition. It's a Roman uh, act. And basically what it is, Roman men typically had a single name, a singular name. Sometimes they would have a second name, and, it, and each, like, the first name is called something, the second name is called something, and then they also would have a sometimes, very rarely, they would get a third name. The third name was the cognomen. Now, this guy... Uh, Attalus the second, he was given a cognomen. He was given a third name. His third name, so it would be like Brian Joshua Jameson, the third name. So he had Attalus. I don't know what his second name, what his middle name was. It, you know, the, the text doesn't say. Um, I couldn't find anything on him. But this third name that he was given, this cognomen, was called Philadelphus. Philadelphus, as we know, is one who loves his brother. That's what Philadelphia is based on. The city was actually named after this third name. So it was like, it'd be like if I got named Jameson, like that's my third name, and I, and I founded a city or I took over a city and they named the city after me, Jameson. This is the city of Jameson. Okay. Now, the reason for the cognomen, it's basically a name which distinguished him from all of his other family members because sometimes they would have, you know, like you have like two Bryans in a family or, you know, like Brian Jameson Jr., Brian Jameson the first, Brian Jameson the second, or Brian Joshua the third, things like that. The third name would be something that would distinguish him from all of the rest of his family members. And his brother, who is the king of Pergamos, right, King uh, Eumenes, he said, you know what, I'm going to honor my brother. I'm going to elevate him. I'm going to distinguish him from the rest of our family by giving him this third name, this third name, which means one who loves his brother. Now, um, so the, the city was named after that. And it was, he was given this honor and the city was named after him because of his loyalty and affection for his brother, right? He was loyal. He was affectionate. He was passionate towards his brother. He loved his brother. Any of you have brothers and sisters, right? Do you love them? Like, are you like, ah, oh, I love my brother. Or is it like, I'd love to hit my brother. I have. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my brother was seven years old. Well, he is seven years older than I am. So the first half of my life, I was beaten pretty much every day my whole life. 
And so I, I would have loved to have hit my brother many times, many times. And then one day, all of a sudden, we became best friends, and uh, we were really nice to each other. And all of a sudden, one day, I'm like, what happened? He used to beat me all the time. Like, I mean, he would beat me. I mean, beat me, beat me, beat me. I mean, he would just, I mean, especially when he started doing, like, football and things like that. And he started getting really strong. And it's like, and I'm the annoying brother who is always trying to, yeah, I want to hang you along. And try to do all these things to bother him and bother his friends. And then he would, like, and I'll be like, oh, and start crying and things like that. And one time he did that to me. And then he was sitting watching TV. And this was, like, an, like an hour or so later. My parents were gone. And he's sitting there watching the show. And I walk up to him, like, just not... You know, he, he's completely forgotten anything has happened. And I stuck my knuckle out like this, and I reinforced it with my thumb like this. And I just, like, walked up. And he's sitting right on the ground, so his legs are flat on the ground, so they're not going anywhere. There's no – they're not going to move, right? And I just walk up, and with all of my strength, with all of my might, I went, oh, and I drove my knuckle right into the center of his quad. And it, it like, because obviously his leg is flat on the ground, it didn't move. And he was just rolling. He was in agony. Oh! And he was, and he got mad. Oh, did he get mad? So what did I do as the seven-year younger brother? Exactly. I ran. <laughs> and I'm running through the house, and he's chasing me through the house, and he's yelling. I won't say what he was yelling, but he was yelling at me, and he was chasing after me. And I get this bright idea. I am going to lock myself in the bathroom because he won't be able to get me there. So I run to the bathroom. I slam the door. He's a football player. What do you think he did? He put his shoulder down and he shattered the door. The door goes boom like that. The whole door jam shatters into a couple hundred pieces. The the, the actual the, the the spot you know the doorknob and the the little mechanism right there it breaks out of the door, right? So he just shatters it and then once again we are best friends. Boy, all of a sudden the fear of my dad. Now my dad's mom, five foot two Mexican woman, very scary. You know, if you've ever ran into a five foot two Mexican woman, they're <laughs> Hector can give me an amen. They, they mean business. My grandma once, my dad got beat up by a bully who was a senior in high school. My my dad was like a sophomore or a freshman. I don't remember what it was, but he got beat up and he came home crying. My grandma said she cussed at him first of all. I don't recommend that. But she cussed at him, and said, "You get out of here. You do not come back in this house until you beat him up." And she closed the door and locked it. So that's what my dad. That's how my dad was, and my dad. Yeah, well, he had the same loving treatment of his sons. And so when we messed up, we knew it big time. And the one that I got all the time, he had a great big college ring. And when I would start talking back to him and things like that, he'd start spinning his ring. And that was my cue to be quiet. But I rarely did because I was very stubborn and stupid. And he would turn his ring. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, after it, you know, he would just sit there quietly and patiently listen to me back, talk to him. And all of a sudden, he'd just go, whap, right on my forehead with that ring. And I'd be like, oh! And then that was end of discussion. All that to say this. Brotherly love. This guy, this, um, you mean, uh, you mean, oh, we ended up fixing the door. We, we spent um, hours, hours, hours. We took every single sliver of wood. We put them back. We put, we didn't have any, you know, C-clamps or anything like that. So because I'm the younger brother, I sat there like this with my arms clamped. And my, oh man, I, my arms are so tired by the end. I sat there for like two hours holding it for the glue to dry. And then, so I sat there and finally we got, and, and it, this was painstaking. We put every, there was not one piece of splinter of wood anywhere that we did not put back and find a place for it. And we got it all back in there. We glued it together. And then at that time I was taking oil painting lessons. And so I went to my oil painting set and I matched the paint and I repainted it so you couldn't tell. Now there's a smell of new paint 
but you couldn't tell. My parents get home and they're like, what's that smell? Oh. And, and Jimmy and I, were, we were just smiles and we were, all, you know, we were all good. My parents, until after, long after we were married, you know, I was married to Heidi, he was married to his wife Greta, they never knew. They never found out. And the only thing that they had ever realized was like, the door doesn't quite work the same anymore. It's like, it just sticks a little bit more. It's, it's just, but they couldn't tell, they, they had no idea that we shattered the, the door. But we, see, of a common fear of my dad, we set aside all of our petty hatred towards one another and we showed that brotherly love, <laughs> one who loves his brother. And by fear and pain of death, we, we joined our, uh, we joined together and, and we did it. So anyway, this, these two brothers, these two brothers, and especially this younger brother, he so admired his brother. He so looked up to his brother. He so adored his brother that his brother, above all of their family members, said, I'm going to elevate this guy. This is a good man. This is the man that I want to not. Now, notice this. King uh, Eumenes, his son didn't ascend to the throne. His brother did. Think about that for a second. That is a huge thing. Now you start to see where like the whole idea of brotherly love in this city is based on, it's a city of brotherly love. You know, that's what it means. It's like this younger brother showed so much affection towards his brother. He, so much loyalty towards his brother that his brother denied the throne to his own son and gave it, and he passed it to his brother instead. And his brother succeeded him on the throne and the city was named after him. And that's how we have that city to this day. Well, they changed the name of it now, but Muslims have a tendency of doing that. The radical Islamists, they take things over and they, they do it. Anyway, so, <laughs> jihad. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? So that's the origin of the name. That's where the name comes from. Now, as we continue through this, I want you to um, just keep in the back of your mind these brothers, specifically this younger brother. It says, these things says he who is holy and he who is true. So now here Jesus is giving himself yet another description of who he is. This is part of the, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. He is holy. He is true. Now we know what holiness means. We, we actually, a while back we did, before we started Revelation, I did a whole study on holiness. And it was basically, you know, God is holy. He is set apart. He is undefiled. He has no shadow of turning within him. There is nothing defiled. He is pure. He is one. And he is set apart. So set apart that in the days of the tabernacle and the temple, one man out of however many, you just say six billion, if it's the same as today, one man out of six billion was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies one day a year. And even that after he has offered many sacrifices and came in under the veil of a cloud of incense. He could not, nobody could enter into the presence of the Lord. And not only that, but the tabernacle and the temple was just a model. It wasn't even the real thing. It's not actually the throne room of heaven. This high priest was entering into a replica. And yet that replica, because of what it stood for and what it symbolized, was so holy that only one man, once a year, after Lots of sacrifices and a cloud of incense could enter into it, lest he be struck dead, which many of them were. So much so that they actually put bells around the hem of their garments, the high priest that is, and they would put bells around the hem of their garments and a rope around their ankle. Because if they got in there and they did something that displeased the Lord, the Lord would strike them dead. They would hear a thump and the bells would stop jingling because they're not moving anymore. And then they would pull them out of the temple. 
That's how holy God is. That's how set apart he is. Jesus says, I am holy. Not only that, but what God says is, right? That, you know, you, have you ever wondered why God can't lie? Because when God says something, it is. God spoke and there was light. God spoke and the universe was created. God said, hey, let, you know, let's create man after our image. And he was, right? God speaks and what God speaks is. What God says happens. He cannot lie. Jesus says, I am true. I am the word of God and I am true. What I say, what I do, how I, refi- how I reveal the father, I am true. He says, he says of the devil that the devil is the father of lies, the inventor of it. Jesus is not. Jesus is true. He is the dichotomy of that. He is the truth. Now, one, little, one last little bit of the history of the Church of Philadelphia, historically speaking. The Philadelphian coins. Now, we all have our, you know, our money systems. If you go to Mexico, they have the pesos. And I always thought they looked like Monopoly money when I, when I went to Mexico. And then now the U.S. dollars are starting to look more and more like Monopoly money, the way they've changed them and things like that. But right, every single place has their currency. Uh, this was the same in these days. Cities would have their own coins. Right, you talk about you know the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, how they remember how they had the tables set up in the temple, and what did you have? You had the money changers, right? Because they would not allow anybody to put any kind of money into the temple other than the the temple shekel, right? And so that's how they would charge exorbitant you know rates of interest and things like that in order to trade in their money and all that. But that's just to say this: that there are many, many, many different each city, each province, they would have their own money. The Caesar had his money that, you know, Jesus said, you know, here's a denarius. Whose inscription's on it? And they'd say, Caesar's. Okay, well, then give to Caesar what's his, right? It's his face on it. Give it back to him, right? It belongs to him. Give it to him. So Philadelphia, they had their own coins too. And on their coins, they had a picture of the two brothers, right? So they have these little coins, and on the picture, there are both brothers. But there's something unusual about it. Both brothers were completely alike. It's like a mirror image, right? In appearance, right? In height, in feature, and in dress. They were exactly the same, but it, but it had both of their names on it. Think about that for a second. Speaking of brotherly love, thinking of, of these men and how they are a picture, right? Because really, that's the picture. Brotherly love, when we speak of brotherly love and when we see Jesus addressing these people, it's really an illustration not of the city of brotherly love, but it's a... It's a illustration of these two brothers. And these two brothers, think about this younger brother. What did he do? His love was so much for his brother that he began to take on the characteristics of his brother. He began to follow his brother. He, he, he was his strongest supporter. He was his strongest fan. He agreed with him politically. He followed after him. And so much so that the brothers, when the, probably the king, when he put the, the coin together, when he, when he minted out the coin, he said, you know what, my brother is so much after my own heart that I'm going to symbolize our love for one another in that we are the same. We are the same and we are one. And now Jesus says, I am holy. I am true. What's the application for us tonight? Are we emulating our Lord? And now, this is a brother. This is a fallen sinful man and a younger brother following after him, mimicking him, being like him so much so that the coin even depicts that, right? These are fallen men. Our brother, 
the one who we share his inheritance. Right? We have become sons of God and we have joined it. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. He is our brother. Do we emulate him? Do our lives reflect him? Are our lives holy? Can it be said, Corey, of you, is your life holy? Hector, can it be said of you, your life is true? The words that we speak, the way that we show ourselves, would people think, even if you never opened your mouth, would they say, dude, you're kind of like that Jesus guy. You know, I've heard stories about him, right? Do our lives depict Jesus Christ? Do they? The things that we say, the things that we hear, the things that we show ourselves, the things that we associate ourselves with, do they point to Jesus? When people see our lives, if you stub your toe, are you honoring to the Lord? Right? If you hit a hammer, there, there was a joke that there was this little kid and he, and he came, this, this pastor was, uh, he had a, a little wood shop in his garage and he's working away, working away. And every single day, this little kid would come and he would just stand there and he would just watch and watch and watch. And when the pastor finished, he would leave. And then, you know, every time the pastor would come out there and start working, the little kid would be there and the little kid would watch and watch and watch. And, you know, this went on for, you know, a couple of weeks. And finally the pastor says, son, he goes, why are you here? He goes, oh, I just wanted to see what would happen when you hit your thumb. You know, because like, okay, well, what does a pastor say? I know what my daddy says. I, 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 know, I know what other people say, but what are you going to say? Right? Are you going to reflect Jesus Christ in your life? That's the first application for us tonight. Does your life, Jesus says, I am holy, I am true. Does that speak of you? Do you reflect that? Do you reflect the Savior in your life by the things that you do and the things that you say? Let us continue. He says, These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, how many of you know what the key of David is? I didn't either. I had to look it up. But this is an important thing. See, as, as we go in the book of Revelation now, especially as we turn the page and we get over to like chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and so on, we're going to start running into more and more illustrations that you're going to be like, wow, that's a very strange picture when you're seeing, you know, these locusts that have scorpion tails and, you know, manes like, like women's hair and things like that and teeth like lions and, you know, like these nasty things. And you'll be like, what in the world is that? Well, most, if not all, of the illustrations found in the book of Revelation are taken out of other places in the Bible, right? From the prophets, from the historical books, from the, the Psalms, from the New Testament, the epistles, the book of Acts, things like that. A lot of these illustrations are based out of the Old Testament. This one happens to be another one of those that we can look back and actually see what it means. So turn with me, if you will, keep your finger on Revelation chapter 3, but then turn with me to Isaiah chapter 22. Twenty-two, And we're going to start at verse 15. Now, this is a time when Ahaz is king. Isaiah is the prophet during Ahaz's reign. And Ahaz has a right-hand man. He is the treasurer of the kingdom. Uh, his name is Shebna. Now, Shebna was a man who had a very high position, right? He had a very high position. And 
because of that high position, he took advantage of it. And he began to make for himself these great sepulchers. He started creating these great tombs, like the, the tomb of a king. And he had great chariots and, and he had great wealth and affluence and things like that. And God is speaking a word through the prophet Isaiah to this man, Shebna. And then he speaks of another man, Eliakim, who we will, uh, who we will see who will be given the key of David. So verse 15, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of hosts, go proceed to this. Notice what he is. He's a steward. He's a steward. Go proceed to this steward, to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, what have you here, and whom have you here, that you have hewn a sepulcher here, as he who hews himself a sepulcher on high, who carves a tomb for himself in a rock. Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and will surely seize you, he will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country. There you shall die, and there your glorious chariot shall be the shame of your master's house. So I will drive you out of your office, and from your position he will pull you down. Now we move on to the next man. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. Now, Many times when Isaiah and the prophets speak, they're not, they, they speak kind of like the book of Revelation itself, like to these churches. They're, they are actual churches. They are literal churches, but he's not just speaking to them. It's also, you have to, it's, it's a prophetic telescope. And what he's doing, he's drawing a picture of the Messiah. This is actually a messianic verse or a couple verses, paragraph actually. And it is speaking of Jesus Christ. And he's speaking of this thing, this key of David. Well, what is the key of David? Well, Eliakim and before him, uh, Shebna carried this thing. They carried this great big heavy key on a big metal ring, right? And they would throw it over their shoulder. This key was the key to the treasury of the king, right? So all the gold, like you, you hear about like King David and you hear of, you know, Solomon and all this gold and this, like these just talents of gold and talents of silver and the treasure and, and all these things. And they would just pack them. It's like the king had a great big vault. Right? And they would put them in there. Now, this is the southern kingdom in Israel, Ahaz and, you know, and uh, Isaiah you know, speaking to them. But they, the kings would have these vaults. They'd have these places where they would store their treasure under lock and key. Well, this is the key. It's this great big key. And they would call it the, the key of David. Right? It is, it's a symbol of authority. And Eliakim had the authority and only him... Right? The king would order it, and then only he would have the authority to go in and open the treasuries. And when he opened the treasuries, nobody can close it. Nobody's got the key. Nobody can lock it. It's open. right? And then he had the authority to close it and lock it. And when he locked it, nobody could open it. right? He had that authority. And not only that, but he, he had the, the great authority of being able to give audience to the king. If somebody wanted to come and see King Ahaz, he would say... No, you look shifty. Sorry. Bye-bye. Next time. Or if somebody, if somebody pleased him and, and he wanted to honor them, he could give him an audience with the king. 
right? He had that great authority. Now we look to this picture, right? And Jesus is saying, that's me. Jesus is calling attention. Hey, this is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm pointing to the Sanhedrin, the false shepherds that were supposed to be stewards of the house of God who are supposed to be feeding my people. They are supposed to be taking care of the people, encouraging them, growing them in the Lord. And instead they became so caught up in the money changers tables and all these things and, and creating for themselves this great honor and dignity and respect that they began to forsake the people. And God said, I'm going to take them down. I'm going to take them down and I'm going to replace them with this person who's going to be Eliakim, but who's a symbol, a a type of Jesus Christ, who is going to be the father of the nation, right? Jesus says, that's me. That's me. And now listen to it. Let's, Let's continue. He says, I have the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He says, I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Now, you can take this in a couple different ways. You can look, you know, some commentators will take it like in a geographical sense that the the city of Philadelphia was set on a major trade route that went from Ephesus into Asia Minor. In medieval times, it was the biggest trade route there was. So he says, hey, look, there's your open door. Here's this open door that goes into Asia Minor. You know, here you are. You're sitting right on the gate of it. It's yours. Some people could, you know, oh, that's it. That's interesting. But in context to what's actually going on here, Jesus is, you know, going back to the Isaiah 22, Jesus is saying, I have given you an open door. What door could he open? There was two. What were they? The treasuries of the king and the throne room of the king. Those were the two places that this man had authority over. And Jesus is saying, hey, I know your works See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. He says, basically, he's saying, hey, guys, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about how you're going to fund this church in getting the gospel out, right? The great commission that these people had at this time. And they were taking very seriously as the, in their time, the gospel basically went across the entire known world, right? He says, don't worry. I've got it covered. I have I have opened before you the treasuries of the king of kings. I have opened before you the treasuries of heaven, and no one can shut it. Do not fear. But not only that, I have given you an open door to the throne room of heaven. Right? Jesus is, right? Because he is a propitiation. He is the one who gives us access. You know, standing, coming boldly to the throne of grace. Right? We can approach the Father. And he says, I have given you an open door. And so he says, I am giving this to you. But now listen, because it's kind of attached to something, though. He says, I have given you an open door. No one can shut it. For, for, this is the reason why he gave him this open door. This is the reason why he has opened the treasuries of heaven and why he has opened the throne room of heaven to this group. He says, because, he says, for, you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Nice little triad there, huh? You have a little strength. Now, I want to stop on little strength just for half a second because how many times in our walks have we said, oh, I can't do that. I'm not strong enough. I'm, I, I don't know enough. You know, these people want to meet with me and they want to ask me questions, but I can't do it because I, I just don't know enough. Or, you know, this is the year of evangelism, so obviously evangelism has been like the hot topic. 
But it's like, you know, I can't do that. You know, I'm not an evangelist. I can't do that. Or maybe it's just sharing with a coworker, right? The opportunity comes up and, pe and people are talking and all of a sudden it's just like, no, no. But listen to this. We all have a little strength. Some of our strength may be more than others in, in certain areas or less than others in other areas. But he says, listen, I know your works. He says, and I've opened a door for you because you have a little strength. What you have, use. Kind of reminds me of the, of the parable of the talents, right? They all had different levels of, of, these, of the talents that the Lord had given them. And, you know, the guy who had the most, he, he doubled. And the guy below him, he doubled. And it's like, and it's like, oh, great. Well done, both of you. Great job. He didn't say, why didn't you earn as much as he did? No, he doesn't say that at all. Well done. Good job. Jesus is saying here to this church, he says, you have a little strength and you're using it. That's the implication. It's a, it's a little bit of strength that is being used for the kingdom of heaven. It is a little strength that is not being buried in the sand and wasted. It's a little bit of strength that is being taken and used in the hands of the Lord to do a great work. He says, you have been given a little strength. Not only that, he says, but you have heeded my word. He says that you have kept my word. What does that mean to keep the word? Well, now, I mean, every single one of us sits through Bible studies at least twice a week. You know, you're in here now, it's three times a week, right? And some of you even probably go to Bible studies at like Big Calvary and things like that, four or five, six times a week, seven times a week, you know, maybe eight or nine if you go to a morning and an evening service. Right, then you've got the joyful life and you've got, you know, the men's and <laughs> you know, there's all there's all sorts of this Bible studies you can listen to. Plus, not only that, how many of you listen to K Wave? Bible studies all day long. Right? How many of you got iPods and you have like um Britt Merrick on there and you listen to his studies? Except I know she can't listen to him because there's something in his voice that drives her nuts. Sorry, Carol. But sorry, Britt. <laughs> Peace out. We still love you, bro. Right? How many of you listen to Tim Chaddock? How many of you listen to Jack Hibbs? How many of you listen to it's like we, we hear the word constantly all the time. Here it is. It's, it's, like, it's just like, you know, we're fat sheep. Come on, let's, let's face it. You know, it's like we got the word. I mean, it, it, to be in, in Orange, California, word. To be in Orange County, California, it's like this is like the capital of Calvary Chapel. Orange County, there, I mean, if you ever go to the map of Calvary Chapels, it's like, it's like the whole thing is red. It's like, it's like, wow, there's a lot of calvary chapels in orange county i mean it is and then you go through the rest of the country and it's like little sprinkles here and there and then like little concentrations but they're just like this but orange county it's because they're all surfers right so anyway but it's like we have heard the word but have we kept the word what does it mean to keep the word because it's like you know a lot of times like you can hear a bible study in the morning and like especially if, if we're inundated with bible studies and we're hearing bible studies all day long do you remember the first bible study what about the second one the third one the fourth one Right? We're hearing Bible study after Bible study, and it's like, oh gosh, you know, first it's David Rosales, and then you got that uh, Scottish guy, and then after that you got this guy, and then after that you got this guy, you know, and, and it's like, it just keeps going. It's like, can you keep it all straight in your head? Are you hearing from the Lord? You know, is it really speaking to your life? Or is it like running water, and it's like running in one ear through your brain and out the other, and it takes a few things along with it? Right? There's a danger in hearing the word but not applying it. But you see, when you take time, and that's why your devotions are so important. When you take time to hear the word and not go on and not keep going and just hearing more and more and more and more, but when you hear the word and you take it and you think upon it and you meditate upon it and you chew on it throughout your whole day, not just in the morning. It's not like, okay, I read my chapter. Oh, great, done. 
And then I go on to my next Bible study, next Bible study, next Bible study, next Bible study. And there's a place for that. That's great, right? I listen to multiple Bible studies through the day and things like that too. But it, my devotion in the morning and my devotion in the evening, those are the two most important times of the day. Because that's the time where I'm really, it's like, it's not just like, because you know, a lot of times when I'm listening to Bible studies on K-Wave, a lot of times I'm doing all these things, it's like, I'm listening to it, but it's like, I've got other distractions in my life. There's things that are going on, but specifically in that morning and that evening devotion, it's like, this is the time when I sit down and I'm trying intentionally, really focused to hear from the Lord. Lord, what are you saying to me? And when I read that devotion in the morning, I, I try to, I don't always succeed, but I try to carry it with me throughout the day and keep bringing it up in my mind. So what was my devotion again this morning? Yeah, what was it about? Huh? And keep, what did that mean? Yeah, that part seemed confusing to me. And then not only that, see, I can't just stop there. I can't just meditate on the word, but now I have to, it has to become one with me, right? Let's go back to these brothers, right? Look at the coin. They were alike. Jesus said, I am holy. I am true, right? We take his word and we, and in order to, to replicate him, in order to be like him, we have to take his word in. We have to understand it and then we have to live by it. We have to apply it to our lives. If we don't do those things, we cannot resemble our master. We cannot reflect him unless his words, he says, if your words abide, right? If my words abide in you and you in me, he says, if you do what I say, then you're my friend. Jesus said, you have a little bit of strength and you're using it. Well done. He said, you have kept my word, right? You have heard it now during this time. The Gnostics are out. They're trying to, they're, they're making up all these false doctrines and trying to trip everybody up and stumble them and do all these things. And he says, no, you have kept my word. They have, they've heard the scriptures. They've, they've heard them read. They've heard the apostles. They've taken it to heart and they've done it. They've applied it and they've walked according to it. They set their lives up according to the word. They didn't say, hey, the word is because I feel this and this is what's politically acceptable. So that's how I'm going to interpret the word. He says, no, you kept my word and you followed after it, but he doesn't end there. There's a third part. He says, and you have not denied my name. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is the easiest one of all of these to do. How easy is it to deny the name of Jesus? Now, most of us will probably never end up like Peter. Maybe some of us will, but most of us will probably never end up where we're saying, I don't know the man, curse you! And like really getting all upset and like cursing the name of the Lord and, and, and denying him in that way. But how many of us have remained silent when there was an opportunity to share? How many of us, when somebody was bashing a Christian or Jesus or something like that, remained silent and didn't say a word? How many of us have been in a college class where the professor began to mock and ridicule Christians for their beliefs and we said nothing? It's very easy to deny the name of Jesus. How many of us, when you know, we know that some of our family members don't know the Lord and yet we're unwilling to share? How many of our neighbors have we shared the gospel with? It's very easy because, see, now there, there's the sin of committing a sin, but then there's also the sin of omission. You guys know what that one is? When you know what is right and you do not do it, that is a sin. We have been given a command. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every creature under heaven, preach the gospel to. Jesus said, if you are my friend, you will do as I say. 
Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. Upon this, all of the law and all of the prophets hang. Do we love the Lord with all of our hearts? Do we give him our first fruits? Do we love our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Good Samaritan tells us that. Somebody who's in need and can't help themselves. Greatest application? People who are lost and dying do not know the Lord. They can't help themselves. They can't save themselves. They don't have it in them. They think by being a basically better than a murderer that they'll get to heaven. That's a lie. It's not true. So, have we denied the name of Jesus Christ? And I'm going to suggest to you guys, because now remember these churches, and remember the candlestick? Remember that first one? What happened? He says, if, he says you've left your first love, Ephesus. He says, you've left your first love, my darling, he says, and if you don't repent, I am going to come and I'm going to take the candlestick from you. Right? Whoa, that's a heavy statement, especially when we look back and see that that church is gone today. They never did completely regain their first love, did they? And the Lord removed their candlestick from them, removed their church. Now, I'm going to say as a principle, doesn't say it directly in this text, but I'm going to say as a principle that these three things... Right? They're kind of a hinge that this open door swings on. Can you guys, can you picture that in your head? Can you imagine that? That this great door, this great effectual door that the Lord has opened that no man can shut, it's got three hinges. The three hinges of this door are, you have a little bit of strength, use it. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And therefore, this door is open and the, the treasuries of heaven, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of all your needs, right? Where God guides, God provides, right? As Pastor Chuck says, right? He says, I have got, given you this open door. And not only that, you have the ear of the Father. Ask what you will in my name and I will give it to you. It swings on this door. It swings on these hinges, right? He has the key. He can open it and he can close it. And if we begin to say like, you know what? I just can't do it. I, 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 I can't do it. I'm afraid. I'm sorry. I cannot do it. Yeah, I, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I would much rather watch, you know, cartoons in the morning and American Idol at night than do my devotion. Now, you can watch cartoons in the morning and you can watch American Idol at night, but if it replaces your time with the Lord, then I, I would ask you to repent and I would exhort you to repent. I right? do not let anything supplant that time and do not deny his name or else in the same way that as he said, you know, I'm going to remove that from you. I'm going to remove that candlestick from you. You'll find that the door, that this door that you have been given, this opportunity that you have, be, that you have been given will shut. And it'll move on to somebody else. Now that doesn't mean that he won't open it at another time in your life and give you another opportunity because the Lord is a great God of second chances. And it's like when we fail a test, he'll come back and he'll give us take two, right? You, you, get, you get beat up in a boxing match and you know, the, the bell rings. He'll like, all right, all right, all right. And you know, cool off, cool off. Okay, let's go again. And you go out there and you got to fight that same guy. And you don't, get to, you don't get to change the next fighter. You don't get to go to the next round until you defeat this guy, right? You're just going to keep going out. And it's like, it's just a vicious loop. And until you figure it out, until you overcome this thing, you're going to have to keep fighting it. You're going to have to keep fighting. He'll keep bringing it. It might be a person. It might be an event. It might be something that frustrates you. It might be a weakness in your character. But you are gonna, he's going to keep bringing things into your life that address that again and again. And you'll be like, why? Lord, stop. But he's just going to say, hey, hey, that's cool. Another round. Another round here. Shh, shh, cool off. 
Ready? Let's go. Ding, ding, ding. Go. This door, he will open it and he will close it. But when he opens it, walk through it. Walk through it. And he will provide. Now he says, now, indeed, he says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Ooh, what's that? He says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, um, a guy who lived right around this time, Ignatius, uh, he's, he's an old school, one of the founding fathers of the church and all that kind of stuff. He wasn't an apostle, but he came after them. Um, he was a bishop in the church of Antioch, the, the church that Paul and Barnabas started. And he was a bishop there. And he, writing to the Philadelphian church a few years after the book of Revelation, he referred to the Jews uh, who had persecuted these Christians, the Christians of Philadelphia for so long. And he said, he said, as being converted and turning in contrition to those who whose adversity they had caused. So now, check this out. These Christians had a little bit of strength, right? They kept the word of God, and they, um, what is the other one, sorry? And... And they didn't deny his name, right? So they're preaching Jesus the whole bit, right? They're, they're going for it. And these Jews are persecuting them. And these, these guys, they're, they're trying to just bring them down. They're trying to bring all this pain and hardship and all this stuff in their lives. And it's like these guys didn't relent. And the Lord kept the door open. He kept that door open. And these guys are trying to close the door. But the Lord's like, dude, you ain't got nothing. And these same Jews who are persecuting them and bringing them down and bringing hardship and trial and adversity repented and ended up giving their hearts to the Lord. And they, they came before these Christians and they would bow and fall on their face and worship the Lord Jesus Christ in front of these because, and they knew, they knew that God had loved these Christians. Right. That's pretty powerful, huh? Now, who's the church, uh, who's the church of Satan today? Who is it? Right, because this is you know this doesn't have just an application to these churches, to the to the Church of Philadelphia, to the seven churches. It's a it's also to the churches of today, and it's also to us individually. So who's the Church of Satan? Who's the Church of Satan? I'm gonna I'm gonna be rather bold right at this moment, and I'm gonna tell you it's the liberal church. It's liberal theology. It's liberal. It's the liberal theologians. Seriously, they are the Church of Satan. Why? Yeah, yeah, look over your shoulder because you know, it's true. Because here's the thing. What, what is coming out of the liberal church? Now, you know, there, there are individuals within church denominations in different areas. You have like the emergent church that's rising up that calls itself a church, but it's not. It's just liberal theology taken to an extreme, right? You have, um, you have like, look at the Episcopal church and how what's gone on in there and how they've embraced <laughs> false doctrine. And basically this, this is the standard that they put up. The Bible is not the word of God. It is written by men and it is flawed. That is the church of Satan. Did God really say, I mean, come on people, let's look at this. This is what Satan said in the garden. Did God really say? And any pulpit that says the Bible is not the inspired word of God, I will tell you, they're the church of Satan. They are the spirit of Antichrist, right? In the, in the liberal church today, in the, in the liberal um, 
uh, Bible schools and things like that, the things that are going on, you know what they're also teaching? Jesus is not the only way to heaven. You can be, you can be a well-meaning Muslim and you know what? We're just not sure because first the Bible is not the word of God, so we can't really trust that. And it's like, come on, you, we love everybody. And we, wanna, we, want, we want our attendance up, so we want to bring as many people as we can. So, you know what? You don't have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to believe that he is the only way to heaven. You know what? Just come. Just come and put a little money in the offering plate, and, and you can fit right in, and, and we'll encourage you, and you'll be great. Right? Oh, 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 wait a second. You don't need to repent of your sins. No, 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 no. Don't even worry about that. That's okay. You, you, you can continue on in your lifestyle no matter how damaging it is to your soul. Because again, the, the Bible, it's not really the word of God. You don't really need Jesus' work on the cross to get to heaven. So continue on in your sin. And at, in the name of love, fluffy, fluffy love, I will tell you, go ahead and stay in your sin. Good job. Carry on. I know you've got a hard life. Is that love? No, that is hatred. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. These men and women who would speak these things from the pulpits across the United States, from the liberal churches, whether they be in a denomination, uh, some separate group, some rising cult, whatever, they are the church of Satan. And who do they hate? Who do they turn their guns against the most? Is it the Muslims? No. No, who do they turn their, who do they say are the most dangerous people on earth today? And I've, I, I've heard this. Bible-believing, conservative, Christian, fundamental, they had that in there too, fundamental Christians. We are the most dangerous people on earth because why? Because we will not say, oh, you're okay in your religion. It's okay that you worship sticks and mud and slime and a coffee cup. It's okay if you believe that if people don't believe in the same God that you believe in, that you can cut off their head and that you should. And that if you kill yourself and murder innocent children and, and mothers and things like that, then you'll get a place in heaven that has 70 perpetual virgins for the rest of eternity. <laughs> it's okay that you believe that. Come on in. And because we would say, no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, because we take that stand, we are the enemy. And they have turned their guns upon us. But listen, in the same manner as these Jews in the, at the day of the Philadelphians, they repented. And they came and they worshiped the Lord before these people and they knew that God loved them. They knew that God had opened an, a door for them that they couldn't shut. And I don't care if they are a, a liberal gay bishop. I don't care if it is a homosexual activist who is militant and nasty and is trying to destroy the, the, the threads of our society. I don't care if they're, um, I don't care if it's a, uh, some, atheist professor at a high-end college who's going to, you know, belittle his, his students or uh, make sure that somebody doesn't get tenure and, and ends up getting fired because they believe in creation. I don't care who they are. If we will use the little bit of strength that we have, 
if we will keep the word of God and if we will not deny his name, the Lord is going to give us an open door and we will be unstoppable. We will be unstoppable and we will reach our culture and we will reach these people and we will share the love of Jesus Christ to them and maybe some of them will repent and be given life and we can be a part of that. That's pretty amazing, huh? That's pretty awesome responsibility and opportunity. Pretty cool. And now, he says, verse 10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, check that out for a second. Jesus has given a command. When did he say it? I don't know. I'm sure it's probably in the gospel somewhere. But he says, I have given you a command to persevere, to continue on with your little bit of strength, not denying my name and keeping my word. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't stop. He says, and because you have done that, he says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of tribulation, the great tribulation. Now, here's the dangerous thing about the church of Satan, about the liberal church today. Are they looking for Jesus to come? No. And now some of them, now like I said, there, there, are, there are saved people just like there are saved people in Calvary chapels, there are saved people in worship generation, there are saved people in the Catholic church and all that. You know, there are saved people in, in these liberal, liberal denominations as well. But here's the thing. There's, there's this tendency when you're not really looking for Jesus' return, you're not really expecting him to return, you're not really keeping his word, you're just kind of there and you know, you're weak. Like, just think of an emaciated sheep. Think of it, it's all skin and bones, and you can see its shoulders st- sticking up out of it. You can see its rib cage and things like that. And just think of like, a, have you ever seen like a dog in Mexico? Imagine that. Just, just put that picture in your mind, right? These are Christians. These are Christians who have not been fed. These are Christians who don't know, and they're, and they're, not, really, they're not really seeking. They're not really persevering. And so they, they begin to become lax, and it's like, they're, they're, the people who are leading them are basically leading them into a ditch. And it's like they're just kind of there and they don't really know what to do and where to go and they have a heart for the Lord, but it's like they, they just don't have any way of fulfilling it. They don't have any way of, of walking in it because they, they haven't been taught that. They've been taught, no, 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 just relax. No, 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 don't get up. Just sit back down. You're fine. Let me take care of this for you. I got it. Right. <clears throat> he said... But, he says, you persevere. You persevere. And now, now, again, go back go back to these brothers. If you are trying to emulate, if you're trying to be like, if you're trying to be a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to keep his word. You're going to do the things that he did. You're going to try to think the way he thought. You're going to try to live the way he lived. You're going to try to speak the way he spoke. And when you do that, he said, watch, I'm coming back. Now, th- think about this brother who loved, or, sorry, this brother who loved his brother so much, right? How many of you, when you were younger, had like a, a good friend who lived nearby? Did you ever have one of those opportunities where it's like you were home and you had nothing to do and it's like you were just waiting for your friend to come home? And you just sit there and you like sit at the window and you're just like watching, watching, watching. Where are they? 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 You're just like, and then maybe you'd walk over to the TV, watch for a second, but then you go back to the window. Are they back yet? No. And then you like walk back to the TV and then you come back. Are they back? Right? Like they were always on your mind. And then when they got home, it's like, all right, mom, gotta go. And then you're like out and you're, before they got in the house, you're like, hey, you want to play? Right? 
I've been there. I've done that. Right? But it's like this brother, you know, he loved his older brother and he adored him and he, and he was loyal to him. And it's like, you know, I'm sure like he, he loved to spend time with them. Can you imagine him? It's like, you know, his brother's away on business. And when he comes back, what, he probably was the one who threw like a big banquet every time his brother came back. You know, we as Christians, right? If we are, if we're to have this Philadelphia love, one who loves his brother, one who loves her brother, right? If we were to have that love, it's like the Lord is gone, right? He's left us, but he says, I'm going to be back. And not only that, I'm going to come quickly. It's going to be, you know, when these things start to happen, look to the skies because your redemption is near. It's coming. I'm coming. Now, if you think he's coming soon, what should we be doing? Right? We should be watching, waiting, anticipating, excited. Right? That's what our heart should be. And he says, because you have done that, he says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of tribulation. There are many men and women who are deceived this night, who believe that they are Christians and that they are saved, though Jesus isn't the only way, the Bible is not the inspired word of God, and they are allowed to carry on in their sins. And they believe that they're going to go to heaven. And if there is a such thing as a rapture, they will surely be in it. And guess what? Jesus will come as a thief in the night because they are in darkness and they will be left behind and they will more than likely be deceived by the great deception that the enemy is going to lay upon all of the earth and they will take the mark of the beast and they will be damned. That's a pretty heavy thought. But that, that is what we're dealing with. That is the weight of the matter. That is why we, with the little strength that we have, with the word that we have, and the name of the Lord that we are saved by, we must persevere. We must continue. We must be watching. We must be waiting. Because, guys, I guarantee you, you know what? If you don't think a door is being opened for us right now, yes, these testimony tracks, the other tracks that we did, they're fun and they're cool. But I really believe that it's the testimony tracks that the Lord is really going to do an incredible incredible work in our community with. Do you know that Shoreline is doing it now? I, I was talking, because Larry comes down and he talks to us, or I go over there making copies and things like that, and I, and I was talking to them, and I, I gave him one. It's like, I was all excited because Hector had brought them. It's like, it was Wednesday, and I'm like, yeah, he brought them on Tuesday. I, 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 took, I took one over to Larry on Wednesday. It's like, hey, isn't this cool? Check this out. Like that, and he, and he took it into their staff meeting, and they're like, this is a great idea, and they're going to do it. So it's like, you know, we have our little kids, our children's ministry. We have the beloved group doing these things. We have members of our congregation like Corey, right, who, you know, this is first night, welcome. But um, even before that, you know, I, you know, he said, yeah, yeah, I totally want to do that. He's, even, he's already sent me his stuff. And it's like we have people in the congregation, but now it's spreading. It's also going to uh, Shoreline. And Heidi was talking about it to her brother Mark. And so it, it may sprout up in another church over there. What is the one thing that we have, this little bit of strength that we have, that nobody can shut down, nobody can turn it away, nobody can do anything with it, except go, huh, what do I do with that? It's our testimony. They can't theologically try to argue it. They can try to say, oh, well, you're just deluded. Dude, my life has changed. Whatever you want to call it, my life is different. This is the way I was. This is the way I am. They ain't the same. You try to reconcile that in your book, man. Go for it. We must persevere. We must. We must. A door has been opened for us. And I think the Lord is going to bless it. 
And you know I, that's why I'm excited. And I encourage you guys. Hey man, get get those things done. I mean, and it's a blessing anyway. Everybody who wrote down their testimony wasn't it fun? It was a good exercise, huh? Refine it. Get it get it down into that that three by five, and get it in and let's do it. You know, you've seen them. I got those right there. You've seen my cards. You know, my testimony tracks. Like, we'll get yours. You'll you'll have your stack, and you can use them. And it's great. And the cool thing is, man, with, with my testimony track specifically, you, you know, like when we did the tickets to heaven. Like that. Remember how it was a little bit awkward at first, but then and then we got we got and we were having fun with it and the whole bit and the, like all the fear kind of drained out. With my personal testimony track, dude, I have such boldness with it. I mean, it's like there is no intimidation because first of all, I wrote it, so I agree with everything that's on it, right? But then it's like it's like it's so easy. It's like I, I walk up and, and and like I like knock on windows. People are in their car, like the car's running, like that. I'll like knock knock on the window, go. Like this, and they like roll down the window, like kind of looking at me funny. It's like, hey, this is my story. You want to check it out? And I'm like, oh. And every single one of them, minus one, has accepted it. Everyone. And they're just like, oh, cool, thanks. It's like, guys, it's easy. It ta- I mean, it takes all of it off because what is it? It's just your story. It's just your story. This is, this is when I heard the Lord. So, he says, now, the purpose of the tribulation I promised you. It's in verse 10. It says, The tribulation which shall come upon the whole world. Why? To test those who dwell on the earth. To test them in what way? Because the Lord, if he wanted to, he could have just destroyed them all, right? He didn't have to go through the process of a tribulation, right? He could just say, ah, done. They're dead. Gone. He's going to destroy them all at the end, right? Anyway, right? Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. He's going to wipe them out. So why the prolonged seven and a half year period, specifically the three and a half year period he's to test them he's giving opportunity to repent he's giving up mixed with god's judgment is always god's grace let me say that again you should write it down mixed with god's judgment is always god's grace right has the lord ever rebuked you has he ever chastised you and you're just like oh well the lord doesn't punish no he doesn't punish he's a good god no 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 yes he does I'm sorry if, if you were ever taught and you ever thought that the Lord doesn't punish people. He doesn't, no, 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 this is the dispensation of grace. God doesn't do such a thing. You're wrong. The Bible never says anything that, the God, that God has stopped judging or that he's stopped rebuking his children. He said, in fact, if you're not rebuked, if you're not chastised, you ain't my kid. <laughs> Put that in your taco and smoke it. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? <laughs> it's not supposed to make sense. I was just messing. Oh. <laughs> so he says the, the, the tribulation is designed. It's a punishment for the Christ rejecting world. It's God's wrath, his anger, his fury being poured out on them. But it's poured out in stages, starting with a little bit. And then it escalates. That way, every last person who does decide to give their heart to the Lord will. And then, and only then, when, ev- when the last person has given their heart to the Lord and the rest are so hard that they will not repent, then and only then does he say, you're gone. No more. Grace is ended. Now judgment. We continue. He says, behold, verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. Now, wait a second. What crown? What's he talking about here? Because, and how can you lose it? It's a gift that Jesus gives, right? He's the giver of the crowns. 
we read that one of the other descriptions of Jesus in a different church, right? He's the one who gives the crown of life, right? It, it's at the bema seat of Jesus, not the great white throne judgment, but at the bema seat of Jesus where he doles out the rewards for our lives in Christ, right? And it's those same crowns that we see in the book of Revelation when the, when the, the church is worshiping at his feet and they throw these crowns at Jesus' feet. It's our, it's our ability and our potential to worship. It's the thing that we worship the Lord with, and it's the only thing that we have. It's the only thing that we have that was forged in this life that we take to heaven, and it is our offering unto the Lord for eternity. He says, watch out. Don't let anybody, he says, hold fast to that which you have. What do you have? A little bit of strength, the word of God, and the confession of his name. He says, hold fast to what you have that no one take your crown. Now, you may be somebody who's like, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you, and you withdraw, and you, may, and you can still go to heaven. If, you, if your faith and your love is in Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. You can be assured of that. As long as you abide in him, that's your, that's your assurance, right? He says, but if, if you're the weeping violet, and it's like, no, I just can't, you can still go to heaven. But how sad will it be as the saints are throwing down their crowns and you have nothing to throw? What will you honor the Lord with for eternity? Now, the Lord, he is good, and he knows how to, he knows how to refine things, and he can find good, and, and I, I'm sure every single saint will have a crown. But shouldn't it be our desire, if we like this brother, if we love the Lord, shouldn't we want to be able to give him the most costly, the most beautiful, the most expensive, flamboyant crown ever as our act of worship towards him? We forge it here. We forge it now. Hold fast. Finally, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. Now, I'm just going to make one quick comment on the pillar thing real quick. This church, Philadelphia, it happened to be in a very volcanic region. There was actually a huge eruption in 17 AD that wiped out a couple of the cities that we even read about our, you know, in in the book of Revelation. It was a nasty, nasty thing. There was constant earthquakes all the time and the ground would shake. Now, Roman construction, what do they have? Pillars, right? And then you have big stones laid on top of the pillars and things like that. When these earthquakes would happen, their buildings would just fall down, except one thing. One part of the building would stand. What do you think that was? The pillars. The thing that held the building together. Now, we are promised trials and tribulations in this life. Trials and tribulations from the church of Satan, not from the Lord. It's not the great tribulation. Don't confuse the two. They are different, right? We are promised trial and tribu tribulation, and the world will be shaken. But you know what? When we persevere, when we continue on, when we hold fast to that which we have, guess what? We will not fall. Though the house around us fall, though the world around us fall, we will stand. When heaven and earth pass away in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will stand. So this exhortation by Jesus saying, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God is like, that's the foundation. That's the strength. Wow. You know, it would mean something like every single one of those people can imagine from their childhood looking back and seeing those buildings toppled over and yet the pillar standing tall, proud and unshaken. That's what Jesus is saying to them. That's what he's saying to us. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. 
And not only that, he says, I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Now, last thing. How many of you, when you were a kid, wrote your name on your toys? Anybody ever do that? You never wrote anything on your, nothing that belonged to you? What, what about your salad bowl when you're going to a potluck and you want to make sure you get it back? Heidi's <laughs> done it. I know we've got stuff that says Jameson on the bottom of it, right? On the ice chest. Yeah, right. You want to make sure this is my stuff. Nobody gets my stuff. And to make sure that they don't mistake it on accident, I'm going to put my name on it. You ain't getting my stuff. And if you take my stuff, it's got my name on it. You ain't going to hide it because I'm going to see it again. And I'm going to take it, right? This is my stuff. Jesus said, I'm going to put the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and my new name on you. You belong to me. You are mine. I have bought you twice. I made you, and I have bought you back. You are mine. That's a pretty encouraging thought. Now, something that, I, that I've been enjoying doing, and I, this time I, I put it, instead of trying to like flip through the, the verses to find it, I wrote them all down. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ after all. And so I'm going to read to you the titles that Jesus calls him by. And this is just in the first three chapters so far. Because remember, the book of Revelation is designed to unveil Jesus, give you a better picture of who Jesus is in the first two chapters and then part of, you know, in part of three that we're in right now. These are all the descriptions of Jesus Christ. So just listen, just soak them in because this is our Lord, not just the mild and meek Jesus who, you know, we have these sissified pictures of him looking so effeminate and weak and like this with a sheep around his neck and blonde hair, blue eyes, and ooh, right? That's not, the, that's not the picture that we see in the Word. This is how Jesus presents himself in the book of Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty the first and the last, the Son of Man, the authority over the church, the great high priest, keeper of the word of God, he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, keeper of the keys of Hades and of death, object of our first love, our greatest love, keeper of the tree of life, giver of the crowns of life, protector from the second death, keeper of the hidden manna, the bread of life which came down from heaven, the juror who can declare us innocent with a white stone with our name on it, the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet are like the fine brass, the master of the servants of God, he who determines who will enter the great tribulation, he who searches the minds and hearts of men and women, he who will come, he who has the authority over the nations, he who rules the nations with a rod of iron, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, the judge of the works of the church, he who comes as a thief to those who will not watch, he who, he who clothes the righteous in white garments, the keeper of the book of life, he who is holy, who is true, who is a keeper of the key of David, who has loved you, the builder of the temple of God, he who has the authority of God. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we are in awe of you. 
Lord, we stand before you now humble, Lord, grateful, and this door that you are opening before us, Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to walk through, Lord, with the little strength that we have, Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep your word and to not deny your name, Lord, but to praise you, to glorify you, and Lord, we do pray that even from this small room, from just a few people, Lord, that men and women who deny your name, who, who call the Bible just frivolous stories, men who mock you and scorn your people, men who live in sin and try to force others to accept their sin. Lord, we pray that they would come to repentance, even if it be by just one testimony, just by one person taking the time and the, having the courage to speak up and to speak out. Lord, we pray that you would just do a great work, Lord, and that we would be found holding fast and persevering when you come. Lord, we do pray that you would keep us from the hour of trial, Lord, that you would not sneak up upon us as a thief in the night, Lord, but that we would hail your coming, Lord, that we would be looking out the window like Philadelphus, Lord, like this younger brother who was honored and set apart from the rest of his family because he loved his brother. May a greater love and a greater urgency dwell within our hearts for you, Lord, with all of our hearts, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. May we love you, Lord, and please you. And Lord, I just pray that you would, even as you said, give us many crowns for the things that we do in you and by your spirit, Lord, that we may worship you, Lord, with extravagant gifts in heaven. Lord, not for our sakes, Lord, but that we may have something to offer you that is pleasing to you, Lord, that glorifies and honors you. May your spirit rest upon your people in Jesus' name. Amen.